Hear these words from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Let's pray. O God, for the gift of these words of Scripture, we give you thanks. I offer the words that I am about to speak to you. Take these mere mortal words and turn them into something that we need to hear. Press into our hearts your love so that we may be changed and go, go out from this place being beacons of your light in this hurting world. Amen. The apocalypse, doom, gloom, the rapture, mythological beasts, bizarre visions, the four horsemen and war. These aren't exactly hopeful words. It's no wonder so many people avoid the book of Revelation like the plague. At best, Revelation is downright confusing. At worst, it's read literally. In fact, some people have used Revelation as a, re a predictor for the end of the world. Numerous books have used the apocalyptic literature for just this sort of thing. Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Earth, which was published in the 1970s, used not only Revelation, but also the prophetic books of Ezekiel and Daniel to show that parts of the Bible somehow predicted events which would happen in the middle of the 20th century. Biblical scholar Warren Carter talks about this book that he picked up in the 1980s. And as he talks about it, he writes at the end, he's still waiting for a refund. The book of Revelation, it gets a bad rap. This breaks my nerdy, theological pastor's heart. And it is my hope that by the end of this sermon, your interest in Revelation is going to be piqued, and you will want to go about doing your own study. And you will find these gems in this beautiful, albeit confusing, piece of literature. John of Patmos, not to be confused with John from the Gospel of John, is pastor to seven churches in Asia Minor. It's not long after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is written as a letter to his people. 
So it would be kind of like Pastor Lou writing a letter to you all, offering you hope and comfort and a charge for the future. The exception with Pastor Lou, of course, is that she communicates a little more clearly than John does. But the reality is, John actually did communicate in a way that was appropriate for his people. While our 21st century Midwestern ears may not understand, his countercultural, subversive group of misfitted Jesus lovers would have understood what he was saying. The coded language that he uses throughout his letter made sense to them as John was using this language to uh, prevent the Roman Empire from understanding what it was he was writing. And the overarching message throughout this letter, God wins. This God who they have chosen to follow, this God who they have chosen to buck cultural norms for, to live in contrast with the Roman Empire for, this God, this is the one who is ultimately the victor not the Roman Empire. It goes against everything they would have been taught and expected to believe from the government. What a bold assertion. God wins. Evil will not flourish. Hurting and death do not have the last words. In God's winning, all of the pain is washed away. But there's a caveat. We must keep Jesus at the center. When Jesus is not our foundation and we don't live into God, who God created us to be, we inadvertently allow evil and ugliness into the world. A couple of years ago, I was leading a group through um, a study of the book Jesus, a Pilgrimage, written by Father James Martin. Now, I loved this study. I loved the book. I loved the group of people I was with. I loved everything about it. We spent every Monday night for a whole year at a coffee shop in uptown Westerville, reading through the Gospels and working our way through this book. But there is one Monday that lives distinctly in my memory. It had been a particularly hard day at work, and things just weren't going the way I had hoped or planned. It was stressful, people were cranky, and in turn, I became cranky. By the end of the day, I wanted nothing more than to go home, crawl into my bed, and pull the covers over my head and hide. If I could have skipped study group that week, I would have. My attitude was so bad that I was so frustrated with every single driver I encountered from my drive from Hilliard all the way to Westerville. I was irritated with everyone and everything. But alas, I had a job to do. So I showed up, and we began our conversation. It was then that something beautiful began to happen. All of my stress, my lack of patience, and my irritation began to fade away. It was soon replaced with contentment, peace, and calm. Spending an hour talking about Jesus with people I loved recentered me. Instead of focusing on negativity, I was focused on Jesus. 
and I fell. I left falling more in love with Jesus and his people than I had been when I arrived. It is a lesson I come back to again and again. Keep Jesus at the center, and God wins. God wins because when we keep Jesus at the center, we feel better. Our anxiety and our stress are reduced. We make better decisions. We're kinder, we're gentler, and we spread light and love in Jesus' name in bold and beautiful ways. And we are more connected to God. Today's scripture was written as a response to what John had written in chapter 20. Now, if you are unfamiliar with chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, let's just say it's a bit of a downer. He describes death and hell and judgment. And for John, not being in the presence of God is equal to death. His symbolic writings paint a graphic picture of how bad life would be if his people turned their back on God. But like any pastor worth their salt, John goes on to offer hope. Death isn't the end, he encourages. Remain in the presence of God because this is when you get to see new creation. Life is good. God will triumph. God will triumph. And God is triumphing. This is our promise. Our God who loves us so much that we were created in God's very own image has our back. We in turn get to have God's back. We get to trust that our God has, is, and will continue to make things right. Oh, but isn't trusting the hard part? Maybe not so hard when things are going well, but when life is difficult, it sure can be hard to trust when we have no idea what the outcome will be. Now, I sincerely hope I am not the only person in here who struggles with this. I'm not going to ask you to confess out loud. Just keep it quietly in your heart and to God. Is there anybody else in here who likes to be in control? Judging from your response, I'll say yes. I don't know about you, but I really like the idea of thinking I have control of my life. My life would be a whole lot more comfortable if I had some sort of roadmap telling me what direction I was going. If I could know exactly where I am going and what to expect, life would be so much easier. But this is not our reality. Our lives are filled with the unexpected. Things like illness, accidents, broken relationships, job loss, addiction, broken dreams, unmet expectations. And on top of this, we don't live in isolation. We are each a part of bigger systems in our lives. Systems of families and churches, our jobs, the government, our neighborhoods, our schools. Decisions and events out of our control within each of these systems impact us on some level. If we allow it, we could live our lives filled with anxiety about the future. Have you ever been so stressed 
that the only thing you can focus on are the minor details that really aren't important. As a parent, this has been an ongoing lesson in my life. When my child is hurting or in crisis, things I would normally enforce, like the use of polite language, not important. What is important in those moments are things like safety and comfort and love. How easy it is for us as a society to get bogged down on details that don't matter. And when we do that, we often miss out on the big picture. Now, you know we do this in churches too. And though I'm sure it's never happened at Stony Brook Church, most churches at some point bicker over some of the silliest of things. Things like locking up the tablecloths, whether to lock them up or not. Pretty much anything to do with the kitchen will strike some sort of argument. And for whatever reason, the color of the paint and the color of the carpet can bring out the biggest arguments of them all. It's what we do. It's what we do because we are human, and we are masters at avoidance. The argument is almost never about the presenting issue. There's almost always a deeper issue at play. But we don't talk about that, because the real issues are hard, they're uncomfortable, and they make us vulnerable to talk about but it's what we are called to do. Jesus did not avoid the subjects that society avoided. He talked about the sick. He challenged the authorities when necessary. He pointed out that none of us should be casting stones because we are all with sin. He spoke the truth, and that is when people began to take a look at making changes in their communities, their families, in their hearts. There is a way to address the uncomfortable subjects. There is a way to address them in ways that are helpful and healing. It's done with thoughtfulness, sensitivity, openness, and empathy. This past year has been especially challenging for the United Methodist Church. Our inability to navigate our disagreements without hurting people, have caused some serious damage. People have left the denomination. Ministries of the Global United Methodist Church have been negatively impacted by lack of funding. Higher education institutions and other organizations have disaffiliated with the global church. As the third largest Protestant denomination, we have not handled our conversations and understanding of human sexuality well. I would even go so far as to argue that human sexuality isn't the root issue for us. The root issue is the institution's anxiety over change. But because the institution is made up of people, we don't navigate these conversations well. 
This coming May, we will have our next general conference of the United Methodist Church. At this global conference, legislature will be brought forward to propose a new way of being the United Methodist Church. We don't know what the outcome will be. The chances of one of the submitted proposals being adopted without any amendments is slim, and it's anybody's guess what will happen. But we know something will happen, and this can be anxiety-inducing. We know change is coming, but we don't have a roadmap to tell us what direction the change is going. What will happen to the global church? What will happen to our connectional system? What will happen to our conference? What will happen to Stony Brook? Though we don't know, it is our responsibility and it is our call to continue to talk about hard subjects. Avoiding discomfort won't stop people from hurting. It won't stop the change from coming. All it does is leave us feeling unprepared for whatever change happens. Talking about tough things sends the message that we trust God is in the midst of our conversations and our decisions. It's the sign that we trust God's presence is with us and that we have not turned our backs on God. In the short six months that I've been here at Stony Brook, I have learned that Stony Brook Church is a church who does not avoid the hard stuff. You jump in and you support missions and ministries with those on the fringes. You support one another when life is especially tough. And you have taken the time to write out a welcome statement that says explicitly, all are welcome at Stony Brook. Safety, support, and love are strong values for this church. Stony Brook has kept Jesus at the center. You are focusing on what is important. You have understood that it is your job to live out Jesus' call to love neighbor and self. You have trusted that God wins, and it's a new day. As we close out 2019, I sincerely hope you are able to look back at your life and see places where God has recreated something that was damaged or dying. Perhaps you've experienced some healing in a relationship, a reconciliation with someone, forgiveness in a painful area of your life. Perhaps health issues were resolved, a new job was secured, or a new outlook on life occurred. This is God winning. Or perhaps you are currently experiencing what feels like a death. Life is hard, you are exhausted, and you just want the pain to stop. If that's you, it is my prayer that you remember that God never abandons you. We have that promise all throughout our Bible. 
open up the scriptures and you will see it from the beginning to the end, from the creation story in Genesis all the way to these mystical visions of Jesus that John records in Revelation. God is with you. Emmanuel, this is God winning. If you need to, please use today's scripture as your own personal prayer. It is something that I do when my life feels overwhelming. It's my reminder that whatever is currently in front of me is not the end. It is God's nature to create and recreate. God is and will continue to make all things new. Pain and tears will be no more. New life is possible. God is winning. Soon it will be a new year, and with new year comes new hope. Our lives will not stay as they are right now, for change is inevitable. With this change, we get to have a front row seat to watching God make things new. We get to lean into whatever direction the Holy Spirit may be guiding us, and we get to grow in our relationship with God. We get to partner with God on this journey that we call life. And we have the opportunity to show Gehanna and the world that no matter what happens within our denomination, we are still committed to ensuring that all people know they are loved by us and by God. We get to be the church and we get to experience Revelation 21. Hear the scripture read from the message translation of the Bible. I saw heaven and earth new, created. Gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the sea. I saw holy Jerusalem new, created. Descending resplendent out of heaven, as ready for God as a bride for her husband. I heard a voice of thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people and he's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone, crying gone, pain gone, all the first order of things gone. The enthroned continued, Look, I am making everything new. Write it all down, each word, dependable and accurate. Friends, God has moved into our neighborhood. And I trust that you are as welcoming to God as you are to every single guest who shows up here on Sunday mornings. No matter what the future holds, we have the promise that we are God's people and that he is our God and that death and pain will be gone for good. And if those aren't words of hope for those of us who hurt and weep, and mourn, I don't know what is. May you be filled with the hope of your God as this year comes to an end and we begin a new year. Amen.